podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode, Group E, Sweden. Today we're in Group E and we're travelling to Stockholm to find out all about Sweden. We're talking to Noel Backner from Expressen. Noel is a football writer for Expressen, which is Sweden's leading daily newspaper. He's reported on the Swedish national team for many years. And because of that, because their players are based all around Europe in the leading leagues, he's followed European football very closely. And he's got some very interesting things to say about Sweden, about European football, and in particular the current transition of an elderly Sweden team that reached the quarterfinals of the 2018 World Cup to a new look, younger, slightly more flexible squad. When we spoke in February... Zlatan Ibrahimovic was out of the picture. He'd retired from international football after the Euros in 2016. But in March, he was officially recalled to the national squad at the ripe old age of 39 after a terrific season with Milan in Italy. Zlatan had retired from the squad, uh, retired from international football. Uh, He'd gone off to play in America and returned to Italy, but no one really expected him to come back to international football. The circumstances have changed. And in our chat, Noah, because of his connections with the Swedish FA, was pretty certain and pretty adamant that Zlatan would be recalled in March. And that has happened. Now, it's impossible to talk about Swedish football without talking about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's a huge personality, for good or bad, and I know a lot of people find him arrogant and egotistical, but he's a multi-talented footballer. And he's also an extremely important personality in Sweden in a wider sense because he's the country's most successful immigrant. He's a role model for a new multicultural Sweden. And so there's a big discussion about Zlatan's importance in Swedish society. And it's interesting that the 18 team that reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup, their best result for you know, a quarter of a century, was achieved without him. And a lot of people were arguing that because they didn't have a talented individual like Ibrahimovic, they had to rely on their collective strengths. And there are those arguments in place, and, and I get those arguments. But there's also the case that Sweden now have a new coach in Jan Andersson, who Zlatan respects a lot more than the, the previous coach, Eric Hamlin. And, and Anderson also knows how to handle Zlatan. So that's going to be a really interesting dynamic going forward as Sweden prepare for the Euros because they've, they've also got quite a few exciting young players, the likes of Dejan Kulisevsky at Juventus, Matthias Svanberg at Bologna, uh, Alex Isik at Real Sociedad in Spain. And these are attacking players who don't fit the stereotype of the sort of muscular, hard-working Scandinavian professional that, that we've seen over the years. And there's an interesting debate in Sweden about how these players are brought into the squad and uh, and how Zlatan can help facilitate that process. And Noah has been following that debate, he's part of that debate, and he has an interesting and knowledgeable take on it. So grab a glass of Akvavit, stick your headphones in as we find out all about Sweden with Noah Backer. Noah, thanks so much for talking to me. We're talking about Sweden and the national team qualifying for their sixth successive Euro tournament. And that followed on from reaching the World Cup quarterfinals in 2018. But it was a, there was a disappointing autumn in 2020 in the Nations League, wasn't there, with defeats to France, Portugal, Croatia, and a loss to, to Denmark in a friendly. So where is the, the Swedish national team at, at, at the moment? I'd probably say that they're in a period of transition. They're... Um... 
moving on from uh, a model that was working very well in the first two years of uh, co- the coach Jan Andersson's tenure as, uh, as the coach of Sweden. That was characterized by a very defensive mentality, a very, def- very defensive mindset, risk minimizing in many ways, but the ability to strangle the tempo and intensity out of games. And uh, to, to be honest to them, they had a plan on, on you know, for, for what to do on the ball as well. And so now uh, what's happened in, in the past year is probably that he has gained access to a different type of player in uh, a young a young uh, generation of players that have, that have come through. And uh, he's realized or identified the fact that he has to change the balance of that team uh, in a way. And that experimental period is very much what you saw this this year because in the qualifiers he he carried on playing basically the same team from the world cup toivonen retired but it was essentially the same team but a very old team and an aging team that one that looked like it hasn't got many many months years left yeah so that yeah that was the case after the world cup as well i think most people probably expected them to lose one or two more plays than they did uh, to, to retirement but some of the most essential parts of that team were, uh, you know, Sebastian Andersson, uh, oh, Sebastian Larsson, um, Mikael Lustig, Andreas Granqvist, uh, Marcus Barry. They've kept performing for Sweden at a level that has been more than sufficient to bring them to this tournament as well. So he's not found any reasons to move them on, even though he's tried to periodically, at least, he's, he's tried to um, replace them or to introduce younger players. But I think when, when, when you see them in a game where, where they really need to win or when he has to choose his favoured starting eleven, it'll look quite a bit uh, like the team that played in Russia. I mean, they were going to retire, weren't they, after the, the Euros in June? So they've now got these extra 12 months, but he's, he's definitely going to stick with them, do you think? Or will he, will he somehow find the new players, space for the new players in the next few months? So there's a lot, there's a lot of different factors uh, coming into that. And one of them is the big one. Is, it's, it's whether or not Slatan Ibrahimovic will return to the team for the summer's tournament. Probably get to that in a bit. So, but yeah, so Andreas Granquist, who's been the captain of the team, he's had a, a really, really difficult period with injuries since the World Cup, more or less. Uh, he, he, he featured in the, in the Europe qualifiers as well, but uh, to a lesser extent that was planned for and uh, he's looked a bit slow as well when he's played in the Swedish league so there might be very logical reasons for him not to not to participate. Mikael Lustig's been uh, performing uh, on club and international level so there's no question marks around him. Probably Marcus Berry who was the player on the most the subject of most criticism was uh, probably close to losing his spot and there was a game where Andersson chose to start with Alexander Isak and Robin Quaison up front. And that, and that felt like a like this this big moment of transition in terms of taking Barry out of the equation and moving on to a different setup, but it didn't work as well as he'd hoped for. And uh, with the emergence now of Dejan Kulusevski, there is a there's a completely different mix of players to choose from. So it sort of boils down to what sort of team he imagines or visualizes for this uh, for this summer. But I'm struggling to see that Barry or Sebastian Larsson will be not be in the, in the starting eleven. And, and Anderson, his contract was extended until 2024 is that right is is there general acceptance that he is the right man for the job to see Sweden right through to the to the world cup i guess in and and beyond that is he what's how's what's he like to deal with and, and how is he with the media compared to previous coaches so i only worked uh, while eric hamrian was was the manager before him but uh, he's a completely different experience than hamrian hamrian was much more defensive so anderson's been heavily praised for his his dealing of, of with crisis of different sorts and there's been a few of them since he since he came into the job despite the fact that they've taken quite good results 
he's very well liked for his for what he represents i think he's 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 put so much emphasis on the collectiveness and and uh, sort of traditional swedish football values in 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 a way but they've also served him very well and he's managed to incorporate players with different skills and attributes into that so for that he's he's been very heavily praised and also if you look at it the results you couldn't really ask for more so people find it difficult to criticize him that's not stop certain people from criticizing him anyway but it's it's part of a wider discussion, perhaps, in terms of how way Swedish football is going to develop and what what would be our strengths going forward and so on, so that he's not quick enough to address that. But he's he's probably regarded as the right man for the job by an overwhelming majority of the people in Sweden following the national team, and that's unusual. And I think that perception of him has been strengthened quite a bit by the fact that he's been very open-minded and uh, very easy to deal with for, for the media. So there's no, there's not been a conflict in terms of him accusing media or reporters for misguided opinion or uh, anything like that, but rather accepting criticism at times when it's when it's come around and being very uh, making himself very available all the time. Yeah, and you mentioned Kulusevski as a new young player. He brought him in in, in the autumn as part of this process you're, you're talking about uh, the generational change. Is Kulusevski the, the guy that everybody is looking to? Because there's Svan, Marcus, Matthias Svanberg as well at Bologna. I mean, even the, kid, the kid, Jordan Larson, son of Henrik, is he, he, he made his competitive debut. Didn't seem to have the same impact as, as some of the others. But is, is Anderson being praised for bringing these youngsters in or is it just accepted that it's time for them to come in? A bit of both, I think. I think in, in the case of Kulusevski, his, his uh, rise was so sudden and unexpected from many people over here who hadn't seen him for quite a while. He was at uh, Atalanta's Primavera squad and so he wasn't being monitored by Swedish, Swedish media and Swedish football fans um, or I think by my, many more than maybe perhaps the people who picked him for the under-21 team. So his sudden rise and the fact that he made such an impression in uh, in the Serie A, even at Parma, was uh, was a bit unexpected. And perhaps some people would have wanted him to be included uh, a bit earlier, but it came at the right moment, according to me, and I think according to most people. It's it's not it's not really a case where he's been slow to introduce young players. No, but he's waited for them to prove a level of accountability perhaps at the highest level so that it's not just a hype around them but rather they've they've actually started performing in in uh, at certain levels and Swanberg is another one so there's there, there's a, this obvious need for Sweden to have players coming through in central midfield and one of the few points where I could actually think that I would have done things differently would be that rather than giving so much playing time to a player like Gustav Svensson, who's at uh, who's playing in MLS, who's still the, the gap filler really when someone needs to come in there, Swanberg should probably have been integrated into the team a little, a little bit more. But on the other hand, he's not he's not that rich of experience yet for Swanberg. So there's a bulk of young players that he's introducing, and the most prominent one, he's not that young anymore, but the most prominent one in this team has been Christopher Olsson, who's who wasn't part of the 2018 squad, but who's been a, a regular starter ever since and are these players are they moving out of sweden earlier i mean kulusevsky you know is young and in, and in syria a pretty high level mm-hmm. in syria it's funberg as well at bologna i mean i mentioned jordan larson but i don't think he's that jordan larson is not that important that i would think but he's you know he's gone to, to spartak moscow is this happening at an earlier stage now in players careers for swedish players that they're moving abroad or is that always because we tend to think of Swedish professionals in England as coming in as good, solid professionals who've learnt their trade and can do a job for, for clubs. Is there more excitement about the youngsters now that they're moving abroad at an earlier stage and, and gaining experience in leagues across Europe? 
to some leagues yeah i think whereas earlier there was a there was a trend that swedish players would be get picked up by the academies in england perhaps and christopher olsen is one of those examples because he went to arsenal and then went back to scandinavia to play again and there, there are a couple of other examples of that as well now there's an increasing amount of players from sweden moving to certain countries perhaps that's got to do with that those countries being more financially strong so that the, the swedish league is an attractive place to shop for players but also the fact that there's a, there's a difference there's a different set of attributes in young swedish players now if you compare them to 10 15 years ago the traditional swedish player then that was very useful in english football i think in the 90s and start of the 21st century would be a very disciplined very tactically aware very physical player now they're much more technically oriented and uh, a lot more um, yeah tech- technically skilled players in a, in another way not overly reliant on physic physicality for example and that's to do with us having uh, artificial turf all over the country but also i think a, a, sh- a change in swedish pop football probably where there's not much more international influence than before yeah that's that's very interesting i'd like to just talk a little bit more about the the tactical options open to anderson the mm-hmm. selection issues just want to take a short break and we'll come back in a second Right, talking to Nara about the tactics for Sweden. Four four two always seems like the default position for Sweden. Is it still the case, or is it more? Is there more nuance, more flexibility in that formation nowadays with Anderson? No, uh, he's been incredibly loyal to his four four two formations. There's been experiments on the balance. I think. Uh, I mean, he could, he can, he can use different variations of that and to be honest the 4-4-2 that he came in with when they had the ball it was more of a 3-5-2 always and that was the same when he was a coach at Norrköping in Sweden which he won the Swedish league with in 2015 so on the ball they move into a 3-5-2 they push one of the fullbacks quite high up the pitch and that's been the case with with this team as well like I said like there's a it's such an interesting mix of players for him to use up front that he needs a focal point and that's usually Marcus Barry but around him I mean you probably couldn't tell if Robin Quaison is a is a number ten, or if he's a is an out and out forward. Sometimes he's the one furthest up the pitch, and Berg plays just behind him to to be more of a target man. But Berg is usually the one that pushes the, the defensive line uh, down, and then Quaison tries to find space in behind. But he's he's sort of it's difficult to define him. It's difficult to define what role Dan Kulusevski has when he's been given more and more playing time now uh, he's drifting in field he's not a traditional winger in the in the sense that people would have imagined a winger to be in 4-4-2 it was the same when Victor Claesson played much on the right Emil Forsberg centers like a number 10 much more than playing left field so yes on paper it, it would probably always have the have the you know the structure of a 4-4-2 but in reality it's much more fluent than that starting at the back of the team the goalkeeper I mean Robin Olsen has proved himself a pretty outstanding goalkeeper at times but he's not playing very much for Everton at the moment even though there's you know there are problems with the position at the club is is that a concern that he's not playing regularly for Everton and that Pickford is still the first choice there would he be in danger of losing that position no i don't think so he's too far ahead of the competition still there's no one really challenging him for that for that spot and also there's a tradition in sweden that players can play very well for the national team despite not playing abroad especially goalkeepers we had Andreas Isaksson, who's who, who made 500 caps for Sweden and and had spent long periods of his career outside of first team, so that's not really an issue. The only thing with Olsen is that there's a slight element of surprise that maybe that he didn't 
managed to find a better career path after the World Cup in 2018 when he was brilliant and he played incredibly well for Sweden and he was really good at FC Copenhagen as well. Him going to Roma after that obviously was the wrong step for different reasons. Maybe his performance was one of those reasons, but the fact that he couldn't even really get the first jersey in Cagliari after that was a bit troublesome. I think most people expected him to have a late but very successful career in Europe and that's not really happened. Another player who's who's not playing as often as maybe you'd like is Lindelof at United. It's still not sure whether he's the first choice or not. Is that a, a worry with Gronquist as well being injured? What are the other options in central defence? It's proven to be more of a worry if, if Lindelof isn't fit because the reason for him not playing at United has been mostly that he's been injured and he's had recurring back problems in particular. So when they have to do without Lindelof and Gronquist, they lose a lot of stability and it's looked very, very confused at times with Philip Elander of, of Rangers and uh, Pontus Johnson of Brentford playing at the back. If you look at their merits, you would expect them to be able to hold things together, but that's not been the case. And even with Johnson playing alongside Lindelof, they've been troubled. And Johnson was involved in a couple of goals in one of the latest rounds of the Nations League that didn't really you know, force his case at all. There's a surprise emergence of a, uh, of a of a fifth defender called Marcus Danielsson, who was the captain of Hugh Gordon when they won the Swedish league in 2019. And he was then sold to Dailan Yingfang in China, coached by Rafa Benitez. And he's, I think he's probably leaped ahead of Helander and probably maybe even ahead of Johnson now as the third choice or maybe the second choice if you take Kronquist out of the equation. So he's probably the number one option now to partner Lindelof. But l- like you say, the, the fact that Lindelof is missing football is, and it's mostly because of injuries because Solskjaer seems to trust him. Lindelof's back problems, especially, I think, is a worry. Yeah, And in midfield, it's always been a very solid midfield. You mentioned Christopher Olsen, Ekdal in, in central midfield as well. That would be the central sort of partnership, the sort of engine room for the midfield, would it? Yeah, I'm struggling to imagine anything else uh, when we get to the, to the Euros. With Olsen, it's... it's uh, anyone who watches him for Sweden is surprised that he's not earned a move away from Krasnodar to a bigger club in Europe. In Krasnodar, they seem to have completely different different opinions of him because no, he's not always a, a starting player for them. So that's really confusing. But he's 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 playing he's played absolutely brilliant. And what he's done as well is taken some of the pressure off Ekdal because usually they couldn't build play from the back if Ekdal wasn't playing. He was the only midfielder capable of using the ball and providing them with an option in midfield. Now they have two players in there who are very comfortable on the ball, both of them. And, and so they've managed to ease pressure with both of them and they work very well together as well. And the wide midfielders would be Forsberg and Larsen, still Sebastian Larsen. Or are we now talking about a more flexible team where Kulusevski could come in uh, and Svanberg and others into a more so, so, less, less of a, a flat four, more of a more flexibility in there? So they've had Victor Klaasson playing at right midfield quite a bit. He had a bad knee injury when they played Spain away in, in uh, the summer of 2019, but he's just recovered from that and he scored a goal at, uh, when they played France away now in the Nations League. So he's probably back in the fold uh, to some degree. But uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a difficult question. It usually depends on the opposition. He opts for Sebastian Larsson when he wants more defensive stability and more defensive balance. He's opted for Larsson when they almost beat Spain in the Euro qualifiers uh, 1-0 and they concede the equaliser in, in overtime but Larson was probably the best player on the field in that game so yeah there's flexibility and it will be a lot it will have a lot to do with the opposition Kulusevski has been used as a right midfielder and as a, as a, as a forward player as well so he's played up front with Barry and that might be an option as well but Forsberg will start on the left and Ekdal will, will, will most probably start with, uh, with Olsen in the middle and up front there are different options now you mentioned Marcus Björk Robin Kwaisen as well as 
question with the top scorer in qualifying, is he still seen as the, the most likely source of goals? Yes, that this has been about probably the most debated part of the team in Sweden, what the best mixture players is up, up front. And so he's had to play Marcus Berg because he's the only player who can hold up the ball and integrate other players into into, into play. And he's probably been proven right in, in, in keeping with Berg, even though he didn't score for, for a long, long time. And was heavily criticised. He's a, he's a link for the for the for the offensive play that they can't really do without. Quaison's uh, emergence was was really good during the qualifiers, but as things stand now with Kulusevski as well, I think there's there's a real competition for players. And Isak was at one point when they when they beat uh, the Faroe Islands away four 0 Isak scored two goals, and he was he was having a very very good period with Sociedad when the pandemic struck. I think he finished on fourteen goals or something like that in all competitions. And before that, he'd scored thirteen in fourteen games for Willem II in Holland so there's been periods of, of good form for players there's been you know periods where it's felt like okay so now Isaac's going to probably occupy this spot between Berg and if you summarize the latest two years you would probably say that Berg and Kweiss are our favorites to start but it's it's a very very stiff competition for places. What about players on the bench does he have any any sort of jokers on the bench anyone he can throw on if things aren't going right is, is it pretty much the players that you've you've talked about the player that he most often brings on is Gustav Svensson which is also starting to be a, a running joke in Sweden that it doesn't matter what the result is or whoever we play or who the sort of uh, the game that's shaping up Gustav Svensson will eventually come on at some point and so and he's probably the most he characterizes the Jan, uh, Jan Andersson's uh, way of thinking in a way uh, but so he he would probably come on after that it's i think I've, i think i've mentioned much, most of them i mean if if you don't start with alexander isak you would probably throw him on at some point if you don't start with kulusevski or Viktor Klaasson, you'd you'd bring them on at some point jon gudetti used to be that player but he's looking increasingly like he's out of the out of the picture right now he's also brought on sebastian andersson from who's played for union berlin but he he's he's been given quite a lot of playing time as well i'd like to talk to you about zlatan Let's take a quick break and we'll come back. I'd like to talk about Zlatan. We can't not talk about Zlatan. He's 39 now, retired after Euro 2016, but he's in extraordinary form for Milan this season. And and we we sort of waved him off to America and thought he'd enjoy himself in in LA. And and you know he was what 37 then, 38, and and that that was a remarkable career. But to come back into to top flight European football and carry on playing like that, is it even a is it being discussed about his his return to the national team? What's what's the situation? Oh, very much, not least by himself. And so there's been incredible developments probably in the last in the last year, I'd say. So Slatan used the build up to the World Cup in 2018 to provoke the Swedish national team and Jan Andersson with different hints or different speculations into the fact that you know onto the fact that he was going to be available or was he not or was he going to go to the world cup that was going to be his own choice and so on and and that for sure provoked the, the leadership in the national team because they couldn't really focus on on the preparations they were only asked questions about Slatan all the time and he knew it and he he did it mostly to promote his own marketing platform for all the different uh, collaborations that he's involved in that's created this sort of tiredness of Slatan in Sweden I think where people were starting to tire a bit about him not just letting things have run their course then he hit this remarkable form for LA Galaxy and scored an incredible amount of goals, even with by MLS standards. So in, in September last year, oh, in 2019, I went to see him on his 38th birthday when he was going to become, he was going to have his statue raised in Malmö, his hometown in Sweden. And in that interview, he lashed out at Jan Andersson, accusing him of not picking players of immigrant descent into the team, which 
in turn spurred a very fierce debate about these questions, but also the fact that Slatan didn't really have his facts right, because there was the case that he was trying to make probably wasn't really there. And that was a starting point of a uh, a really weird relationship between the two of them. So Jan Andersson didn't get drawn into any conflict, but he was pissed off with the fact that he was accused of, of, of this. And because of, of the narrative managed to eat its way into the media reporting and so on, that, you know, people, fans were discussing on social media, was, was this a racist coach of the Swedish team or, or whatever the, the, the underlying meaning of Slatan's uh, attack was. And then he went back to Europe and uh, he continued to send out these little messages with hidden or not so hidden criticism of the way that Andersson used his players and, and coached Sweden. And there were several other attacks. He criticized Andreas Granqvist and he criticized, criticized Marcus Berg. And then just a few months ago, he criticized the fact that Kulusevski wasn't starting, but uh, Sebastian Larsson was starting instead. And he called the leaders, you know, the leaders of the Swedish team are incompetent and, and stuff like that. So it, it seemed as if the, the entire idea of Slatan returning to Swedish international football, to, to Swedish team was, was bizarre. And then he received for the 12th time the, the player of the year award in Sweden. Uh, so he was named the best Swedish footballer for the 12th time. And he gave another interview probably the 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 first one uh serious one that he's given since i was there a year a year and a half ago now and in that interview that was just a week after he'd suddenly said that uh, he, he suddenly posted a picture of himself in the swedish uh, jersey saying that he missed it and in that interview slatan came clean about the fact that he wanted to return to the national team he wanted to return to play for sweden again and he sort of backtracked on some of his comments even though he he would say that he didn't but there was a him trying to put a bit of nuance into everything and saying that he didn't mean that and that this and so on and trying to explain a bit more about what he meant. And so the day after, uh, Jan Andersson got himself on a flight to, to Italy and, and sat down with Slatan Ibrahimovic to, and talked to him about, the, I think, about their relationship and about perhaps returning to, to play for Sweden again because he's always held the line that until Slatan says that he wants to play for Sweden, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call him. That's his policy, that he's not going to chase Slatan. And so I think what, what came of that meeting is that an understanding between the two of them that when, when the national team assembles in March again, he's probably going to be in the squad. That's what, everyone, what everyone's expecting now. Everyone's expecting him to make himself available and be picked for the next round of, of international games. Is there any sense in Sweden that Sweden, the team, actually plays better without Zlatan? In the sense that they, at the World Cup in 2018, it was the best result since USA 94, you know, without Zlatan. Is there a feeling that the team plays better without superstars? That this, the idea of Swedish football that we always have as a, you know, as a unit, as a team playing together, functions better without a player like Zlatan? Or can he, will he come in and, and improve things? Is, is there still, is there that feeling that he can, he can make that impact and improve things? That debate is very much alive still here, yeah. And it was alive leading up to the World Cup in 2018 as well. And there was this false argument made that it's typical of Sweden not to just understand, typical of Swedish football opinion, just to just understand that we have access to one of the best players in the world here. What, just bring him in. And then there was this other side of the argument saying that football is a much more complex sport than just you know, bring in the best players. And that would still be the case, I think. There's a, also another debate in connection to that, and that revolves around the national team with Slatan and how much was about him and how much was about a weakness in the leadership from uh, Erik Hamrian, who was his coach for most of the time. I would say, uh, fr from my understanding of from the millions of conversations on the subject uh, that I've had, that if you want to understand what went wrong with that national side, it was more, it was more about Hamrian than, than Slatan, And so... 
I think on the right premises, he would come in to improve the side and work within the model that they've used. I think that's not. I think that wouldn't be an issue. But you never know. On the other hand, it's a mistake to think that this this argument, this debate, would be something exclusive for Sweden. Because if you look at the debates they've had on Messi in Argentina and Ronaldo in Portugal or whoever, if you have a player of this stature, you will always have a debate on whether or not to focus the game around his strengths, which is very natural, and that will that will give you things, but it will also cost you things. So. But at this stage, if you look at the players Zlatan has become in, in the last year as well, he's much more of a stationary forward now. Than he, he doesn't drop deep to collect the ball. He doesn't like to involve himself in, in as many things, but he stays in and around the box. He is arguably the best attacking player in the world in terms of heading the ball. His, his aerial strength now is, is uh, remarkable. He, did, he wasn't this good at it when he was younger, but he's, he's incredibly good at it now. And as a box player, you'd, you'd struggle to find someone with his set, of, his set of attributes as well. So he could probably fit quite well into this model and he probably would have not fit as good a couple of years ago. With or without Zlatan, just finally, what's your thinking about Sweden's chances? It's a tough draw for Sweden in terms of the opening game against Spain in Bilbao, and then two games in Dublin against Slovakia and Poland. So mm. is, is it a case of the first game that they'll try to avoid losing and then two games that they think they can, they can win? So yeah, and I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they contemplate avoiding losing to Spain. I think they, 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 they went close to beating Spain very recently, like only a year ago. And uh, what this team has proven again and again is that they'll give themselves a very good chance in almost every game. So they've had a couple of bad defeats this fall, but that was experimenting with the balance quite a bit. And I think when you get to a, a championship, you'll probably not see as much of that, but more uh, a more pragmatism. So what would be expected of them is probably to progress beyond the group. I think in Sweden we view this, even though Poland has an exceptional record in terms of qualifying, they seem to show up at every tournament and not being able to reproduce their quality of performance. So they're not really taken as a as the threat they could pose. Slovakia obviously would be the underdog in the group uh, anyway. The, ex- the expectance here would probably be for us to for Sweden to to show up and and uh, give Spain quite a tough game. Uh, probably come close to a draw at least, and then uh, narrowly beat Poland and then comfortably beat Slovakia. That that would be the idea, I think. There seems to be confidence and a, 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 a <laughs> confidence about Sweden that uh, that bodes well for the summer. Uh, and, and I hope that the games can be played in stadiums that are full of fans. That I think is the hope. But um, Noah. Thanks so much um, for joining me. That's really interesting Thank to you. be here uh, Sweden. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it and you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sport Social Podcast Network, just head to sport-social.co.uk. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. Sport Social Podcast Network.